right, cool. Did you want to say anything? I'm sorry, what? Did you want to say anything? I'm sorry, what? That's what I want to say. Perfect. Hi, this is Cody DeGalorians. This is Neil DeGalorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay! <laughs> oh, you're going to be a belligerent podcaster um, today, aren't you? I was giving you nooch. I gotcha. Is that what we're getting? Yes. Super. So, uh, we're back with another episode. We're doing really good during this quarantine time. We're kicking tail. Let's not pat ourselves on the back. Let's not get too cocky. I don't know. I feel like uh, this is pretty... Considering our track record, this is actually pretty good for us. What track record? Exactly. Uh... So, um... We are really, really big Drag Race fans, and uh, we haven't really talked much about the show this season since we've been watching it, partly because we haven't been podcasting for most of the time that the I show mean, has been. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the most recent episode of Drag Race uh, inspired us uh, to do this episode of the podcast, as it brought up some things that I thought be that Neil suggested would be really interesting to talk about, and I agreed. Um, this is three episodes in a row where I've come up with the idea. I know. You're Look at a, me. I know. You're practically the lead this whole quarantine is really letting me blossom i know you're like you're now the beyonce i am showing my true self i'm finally out of my shell and into the world as a vulnerable little i don't know where this is going i'm neither do i okay so let's go back to drag race yeah um this past uh, episode of drag race the most recent episode was the uh an episode i look forward to every season it was the makeover challenge you look forward to it i do look forward to the makeover challenges i i'm always disappointed by them well, but yeah. i do look forward to them cuz like the criticisms are always the same it's always the same it's like i don't see family resemblance why didn't you make her outfit look more like yours like that's it I don't know. I'm always like, okay, it's going to be cool to see who they bring into the workroom. And I love the workroom stuff generally where it's like a person who's not part of the world is trying to become part of the world. And that leads to some fun things. And I don't know. I I do look forward to that. I do always find them kind of disappointing because I finally get to the end. It's like, okay. Um, it's almost like a day isn't long enough. <laughs> yeah. But this season, for season 12, the Makeover Challenge was rather interesting. They brought in uh, seven Drag Race superfans. And it was kind of fun because they didn't even know they were going to be on the episode. They thought they were coming in to just be the audience for some other challenge. And they surprised them with the opportunity to be the recipients of the makeovers for the um, tried and true tradition of the Makeover Challenge. And I'm genuinely surprised that all of them went with it like i can't believe there wasn't one that was like um this isn't what i signed up for i love this show but this is too much i can't perform what are you talking about i i'm not surprised at all i mean i think everybody i would that would be a dream sure i'd be a fucking dream but you're different like like i'm just saying like i'm surprised there wasn't somebody who had a meltdown at the like Mm, pressure like it's one thing to be in the audience which is what you signed up for it's another thing to be like a subject on the show Especially when, like, they walk in, they're like, who are these men? 
who are these people? <laughs> That's fair. We've seen not a single yeah. season of this episode and uh, season of this episode, um, and we won't for another year. Like that's wild. I don't know. This ended up being probably my favorite makeover challenge episode ever. I agree. It was really, really sweet and and delightful and very funny. Uh, partly, I think, because this is, in my opinion, one of the most endearing casts that the show has ever had. Like, I love the people who are on the show, except for one, um, she, she who will not be named. But uh, it's a, a very endearing season, and they brought in a really endearing group of super fans to join them. They had cool stories, and it was just like a really delightful episode all around. Um, I loved it. Particularly, I'm here for Janet the Planet. She uh, is one of the, the Drag Race super fans. Totally fantastic. And uh, I hope she shows up on season thirteen. Hold hold up. Let me let me just go check to see if her Instagram is verified yet. <laughs> because well, she's white, so yes, it probably would. Whoa, be. Janet. The so planet. Yes, we completely enjoyed the makeover challenge. It was a ton of fun, and uh, of course. Because the internet is the internet, and Twitter is Twitter, and discourse is discourse. Uh, there were some objections raised about this particular episode. The gays were added again. The gays were added again. The gays had some problems with this episode. And that was what uh, we decided we would talk about on this episode, because it's a very bearded fruit topic. Um, what we didn't mention before about the, the, the super fans that were brought on the show is that these fans of Drag Race were all grown-ass cis women the grown-ass cis women right thank you i was i was really confused whether or not they were grown-ass so thank you for finally grown-ass cis women um uh they were racially diverse however uh there's no clarification about whether or not they were all straight identifying women we don't that's that wasn't part of their their journey or their conversation but we do know they were all they were these cis white ladies uh, i'm sorry these right these cis women who were brought into uh, the show to be part of that. And that upset some people on the interwebs. The interwebs got a little upset about it. Um, one of the reasons why I saw in, in sort of the on the Twitter discourse about why people were upset about uh, Drag Race bringing on um, cis women as the recipients for the makeover challenge uh, was that they felt that it was like wrong for it to be cis women and felt that it would have been more appropriate that the show would have brought on maybe young queer super fans of the show or queer super fans of the show or like at least have mixed it up a bit that this this idea of like hey we're going to we're going to treat fans of the show and have them all be cis women uh was a bad choice on the part of drag race yeah i think of of the criticisms i've seen um it's kind of a mix between the very like hot takes of like oh well we see what vh1 has done to drag race and like the more nuancy ones like that last criticism which i actually like i i hear that and i think i i think i would um i would have liked to have seen like a mixture of of people um in in the uh in in the makeover challenge it would have been really interesting to see a mixture of bodies but then you get the problem of there's always somebody who's like, oh, well, I was set up because they normally have like the queen who wins the mini challenge or the challenge last um, episode pair um, the makeover recipients to the queens. And there's always like a you set me up to fail because you gave me this queen. And it's like, well, 
somebody has to take that person and you can feel salty and that always happens so somebody who gets a cis per cis woman versus somebody who gets say um a a cis male would immediately think oh well i'm at a disadvantage so there's no pleasing everybody essentially there even with that legit criticism there's no pleasing everybody through it yeah and like i don't know that one seems to be the most innocuous of the the things that people had a problem with that it didn't include other queer people which i totally get like yeah the the fan base of drag race is is a diverse I don't, is it? I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's just an assumption. Uh, but it does feel like it's a diverse fan base. It includes queer people. It includes... Um, it, it, it isn't just the cis ladies that were depicted on this super fan episode. But previous makeover challenges did have all cis women. There was the... Um, well, that's like yeah. mothers and relatives. Yeah. Like, that's a different dynamic altogether. Yeah. Um, I just thought, like, of all of them, it's the one that I'm like... 50% I'm on board with your criticism and 50% I kind of think it's sort of mm-hmm. BS. I think a lot of it comes down to, oh, wow, the gays are misogynist. Weird. Who would have thought? We're going to get there. Okay, sorry. So the second one, the second little nugget of, of criticism I saw was really leveled more at the show and what this choice says, not just about the women who are participating, but what this choice says about the show itself. And the criticism was basically that Drag Race is really showing that it isn't a show intended for queer people anymore. That Drag Race is designing itself to be as mainstream as possible and it's really gearing itself toward um, the women that they picked to be part of the episode. They wanted their the, their core audience and their target audience to see themselves in the episode. So what it says is that Drag Race, this show that celebrates kind of a, that celebrates an art form that is quintessentially queer um, and is now this like giant powerhouse has brought a queer art form into the mainstream, now no longer really cares about its queer audience so much that it is really trying to cater exclusively to uh, a mainstream American audience assumptively heterosexual probably mostly white and ladies meh <laughs> yeah i know also it's one of those meh. like I, I i hear that and i see how one could come to that conclusion but i think ultimately at the end of the day if we're really thinking about it it's fan service it is one episode out of the entire series which ultimately otherwise showcases a lot of queer talent and and storyline especially thinking about um some of the guest judges that we've had this this round the guest judges are always a hot like mess of people who aren't qualified jeff goldblum like Mm. jeff goldblum what what was he doing there rachel bloom i i understand even aoc i understand to it to an extent uh winnie harlow makes a ton of sense Nicki minaj makes a ton of sense robin eh, i don't know (laughs) um but but this this I keep trying to call it a semester. <laughs> this semester it's not of a drag semester. race. No. This this season of drag race has actually done a pretty good job with also having Daniel Francesi and I Aaron remember, Samuels. I don't yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to call him Aaron Samuels. He's too. just Aaron Samuels. Aaron Samuels. But those those are the gays, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think there that has this argument in particular has been around for a while about Drag Race. Uh, as as it has gone from being this really ramshackle little show on logo into being this VH1 juggernaut Emmy winning 
a television reality series. But at its core, it's always been a very specific form of drag that it's showcasing. At its core, it's always only shown a very specific niche of drag. Even if you say, oh, well, look at this queen and look at this queen and look at this queen. They're all doing just female impersonation at the end of the day or some kind of hyper femme form of drag. They're not really doing a masculine drag. They're not uh, thinking about spooky drag really all that much. Sharon Needles is completely tame compared to Dragula. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this criticism to me is kind of pointless too because it's ignoring the fact that at the end of the day, it's always been a femme focused show it's always been very femme focused when it comes to drag so it makes sense that the audience would be interested in femme things thus including cis women like that just makes sense it totally just makes sense that that would be part of the audience well and you know like i i don't know there's to me, inherent in all of this conversation, there's also this uh, this tension. It, it com- to me, it comes from a bit of like queer space discourse that argues the validity of uh, assimilation versus um, I don't know like, the exact word for it. I want to say isolationism, but it's not what I mean. But sort of like the notion of yes, the the goal is for queer people to live in the world along with everybody else in sort of an equal space, and we're all it's all blended together and. And the ideal would really be that queer people have their own space that is separate. It is ours. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And you got to stay your way out of it. Like, I think the new the nuance answer, of course, is that both things have to exist. You have to somehow work your way toward both and all as opposed to one or the other. But uh, if you've ever spent any time on in online discourse at all, nuance and um, holding two ideas in your hand at the same time is not a thing that occurs. Uh, You either have, it's either, yes, we should just be like everybody else, or no, fuck the straights. Um, Fuck every cishet person ever in the world. And there is no in-between. Well, and, and I think also, just again, reiterating, Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race has never been that queer only space even when it was season one two three it's never truly been a, a queer centered space because it is hyper niche it's so niche that it's it's really it's it's not a queer space i don't see it as much as a queer space as it is a femme space and femme space when in a when portrayed through a masculine body or a body that is assigned male becomes a queer space, but it isn't inherently a queer space. And I think that's the problem is that people are expecting too much out of this franchise that has never been about that. Also, Drag Race is problematic for so many other reasons. And I want to take a second to like acknowledge that we understand that and we are super critical of RuPaul especially. Um, and it's lack of trans competitors. Uh, and, and we recognize a lot of those things, too. We are weirdly in this moment where we are defending Drag Race, mm-hmm. but we are also hypercritical of Drag Race at the same time. It's entertainment. Fracking? <laughs> no, 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 not that. Well, I was going to make a... F- <laughs> I was going to make a fraction joke later. Yeah, I was going to say no. something like, "Oh, that's a fraction mm. of Yeah, I'm thinking of the of the Bob the Drag Queen and Peppermint uh Instagram live <laughs> the where fashion. they the fa- no no no, whenever they about fracking, the fracking one which is fucking hilarious. God bless. God bless the two of them. Um no, the fashion one is also good. Yeah, I need to show up just the two of them. Um Yeah, I, I I agree. Like the, the, it does sound like we're defending Drag Race. We're we're not totally. It is a problematic show, and that you actually bring up the the kind of the third general criticism of this as well is that it it does present the show 
in a hyper in a hypocritical way. Uh, the show is being hypocritical in bringing in these women and celebrating their ability to engage in the art of drag when as a show it does not include trans women or cis women drag performers as competitors on their show. I would vaguely agree with that. That is the one argument that I feel is the most it's the one that I want to play with the most. It's the one that I want to kind of enter that space the most. The rest I dismiss pretty full right because it feels like it gives Drag Race too much credit. Whereas this one gets at the heart of RuPaul's own hypocrisies in that she'll say, oh, we don't care what's between your legs. We only care if you have charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. But clearly that has not been the case. And she said all sorts of ridiculous things, especially regarding Peppermint, who was trans on the show, but RuPaul explicitly said, I didn't view her as trans because she had no surgeries before filming. Like, ma'am, ma'am. Suddenly, RuPaul is the uh, end-all, be-all definition of what it means to be a trans woman, apparently. That is a take as bad as AJ and the Queen. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> too soon, and yet not soon not enough. Not soon enough. Um, so, so this criticism is, I feel, a much smarter way to talk about this subject because it gets to the core of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a woman in regards to drag race and how drag race has historically been very exclusionary when it comes to that and only bringing women and trans women in um, trans women especially as props thinking about um, sonique coming in for the christmas special or any any other time we've seen um our lady J um, or other trans figures coming in they're never necessarily judges they're not really there they're just kind of as props like oh look at this trans i found on the street i will give her a, a spotlight and a chiron with her name yeah. on it um and then we'll say hashtag drag race afterwards and even when like the the one contestant that came into the workroom as an openly trans contestant um was really clearly edited in a way to make her look like the villain, like the the one trans with Gia Gunn on All Star Four, All Stars Four, All Stars Four, Four. Um, she was clearly treated as she was edited and treated to be the villain of that season, um, and, and to ex to an extent that was already her character. That was her character on season six. So I hear that, but it's also like a continuation of that storyline. But there is that additional moment between her and Trinity um, that, according to Gia, was kind of self-produced anyway. But it's it's still very much so treated as like, oh, look at this mean trans woman who's telling me I can't be a trans woman for this uh, snatch game sad imitation of. <laughs> um, that was very strange. And absolutely, yeah, Gia was kind of um, set up to be the trans villain i was trying to come up with a pun it didn't happen no yeah so i guess i wanted to talk a little bit to kind of more than more generally than just about this particular episode and this particular kind of thing that, that people have been talking about on the internet which most of the the response to this discourse has been like girl please step down mm -hmm. take a seat um the large question for me is this this notion of drag race being a queer space and this this notion that that's a lot of that some fans and some people who are talking about it online seem to think that it should be this kind of pure queer space. I mean, is Drag Race a queer space? No, 
I think it is queer adjacent. Um, I feel like it is one side of a Venn diagram that happens to include part of the queer space. But I think hearkening back to, again, things RuPaul has said before on the show explicitly, um, grain of salt, of course, um, she said things like, I have marketed um, radical drag to a mainstream audience or something like that, something to that effect. She, she called herself a marketing genius. Um, so that's always been her goal. Her goal has always been to be in this mainstream in spite of her acting before before her Emmy, she had this interview where she said, "No, I don't think um drag or drag race will ever be mainstream." And it's like, "Ma'am, <laughs> it was getting there, and clearly was." And then she got multiple Emmys. Um, so I think it's 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 a space that incorporates aspects of queerness, but again, I feel it's less of a queer space as much as it is a femme space, and it's through the context of assigned male bodies that it becomes a queer space but otherwise it's more a femme space than it is a queer space and i don't i I feel like there's 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 almost need to determine the difference between those two kind of looks at at these spaces and to a certain extent i could even argue try not to get too academic or, or theoretical but there is no such thing as a queer space um because queer is inherently undefinable so trying to define it and say this is a queer space is against the entire idea of what queer is but again that's me getting a little too butler maybe so <laughs> yeah i feel like yes i mean because then we can we'll go down the line and argue that like this is this even a podcast are we even podcast. <laughs> I don't know. There are probably people who listen to the show and go, no, this is not a podcast. This is not a this podcast. This is not a podcast. Um, I, hear, like, I hear all that and I take all that, but then I would also say it, it is, I feel like, a, a super queer space because it has given a lot – it has given airtime and has made public and given space for a lot of queer people to share their stories and to share their talent and has launched the careers of – over a hundred queer people well maybe not over a hundred because not everybody's career got launched but it's 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 allowed a lot of queer people to make a living doing this thing which was mostly an underground art form before that yeah to so yes we may you may lose a little bit of that like uh a grungy underground this is like radical and in your face and it's against all the things kind of quality about drag that uh, you get in other places which we can also talk about but um it has given queer people the ability to have really lucrative careers and to have platforms and to reach people and to allow queer voices to have some kind of equal footing in in a public space see and and it's with that in mind that i start to think about how that is and I don't have like the time to really break this down in my brain, but what pops into my mind right now is this idea that that is a very capitalist form of thinking. It's a very entrepreneurial, a very let's make as much money as possible kind of way of thinking. And so then the question is, do we want that as a form of a queer space? Do we really want to be focusing on the bottom line? Um, do we really want to be because yes it has it has given a platform it has given a space for people to tell their stories but they tell their stories within the context and within the intent of launching their career of becoming a household name of getting a comedy special doing a one woman show in Provincetown there's this there's this notion that yes it's it's creating art and it's 
it's bringing more awareness to these artists, but it's bringing more awareness to these artists so that they can then sell their commodities and sell their art as commodity to an extent. So I think there's there's kind of like a, a, a push and pull. And I think about like the queens who have, for, for lack of better words, kind of resisted that or otherwise found their own way. I think of Pearl. Um, Pearl is kind of outside of the drag race world, but still successful in her own right. I think of Willem, who has, to a certain extent, made a career of being critical of RuPaul, of of being like almost the anti-RuPaul, of being disqualified on the show, and then with a vengeance, like playing into that and playing into that villain of RuPaul. Um, I think about Courtney Act, who has gone on to also do all sorts of things outside of the realm of drag race um but also still very very much so capitalist commodifying i don't know but (sighs) that's complicated too so it's just it's just a thing that i'm thinking of right now yes it has created this space where queer people can express themselves but it's expression in the sense at the end of the day trying to sell a product whether that's that bubbly sparkling water they've been pushing this season or that kitty litter or otherwise i mean like it, it gets to the point where i don't feel like at one, I do feel the earlier seasons made fun of that form of reality show product placement, and now it's not making fun of it. It's it's actually actively participating in it under the facade of making fun of it. Yeah, but like we, that that doesn't take into account that we live in a world in which that is a necessity. We live in a society. Like you live in a society in which that in in order to have power and in order to have facility and in order to have agency you need to have money but i'm in this judith butler world of utopia i you told, know. no like i totally <laughs> i'm get living that. my fantasy over here but that's exactly what it is it's a fantasy and how dare it, you it is an academic fantasy and it's which one of the things and this is mid tangential but it's one of the things that really bothers me about twitter discourse it's sort of talking about the world in a theoretical way and we don't live in the world in a theoretical way we live in the world in an actual physical practical way and while i can enjoy the conversation of it being of that theoretical world you you have to still fucking live in it and we is it it's it's I think it's a really positive thing that that this show has given people like Willem and people like like Shay and Monet and Monet hosts a talk show on whatever what is that uh, YouTube it's on yeah. YouTube so but she hosts a talk show and Bob can have tours and Bianca Del Rio can have big huge sellout tours these people who would not have been given the ability to do that before Drag Race now have money and they have a talent that is a commodity and to some degree that affords them some sense of power in their platform so then the question is at what cost at what cost are we willing to at what at what point are we willing to allow this queer art form to be commodified for a non-queer audience at, at what point can we because sometimes it feels sometimes it does feel that drag race is very fishbowly. It is very like, look at those fags playing around, playing with their makeup and all that stuff. Um, and even the very seriousness that the queens are portrayed, it still feels very clown. It feels very pig in a wig. Even when there is a sense of very seriousness and, and there are people who are taking it seriously, at the end of the day, it's very snapping, yas, queen, that kind of stuff. So at what point do we reconcile that that has to go away in order for a queen like Katya to exist and a queen to exist and flourish with, with their brand. At what point do we say, okay, then 
goodbye. And I think that comes back, that harkens back to my original point of drag race isn't a queer space. Um, and that it isn't a space that, that we shouldn't be sanctifying it so much. We shouldn't be sanctifying it as this beautiful queer space because the, the, we cannot have that platform for people to do really radical, weird, queer stuff like Evie oddly, et cetera, without losing and, and actively letting go of a certain semblance of, of queer identity. So we kind of have to be okay with bachelor parties at gay bars, <laughs> you know, bachelorette I, parties. See, okay, so I don't know that it necessarily means it has to disappear. It just means that you have to make space for both things. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like, it doesn't go away. You just have to you have to find a way for both things to be okay. And it, that kind of leads me to, the, like, a discussion of, okay, so if Drag Race... If, if people project some ideas about what Drag Race should be and Drag Race is this other thing... The show that actually, I think in a lot of ways, does the stuff that we project on Drag Race is Dragula. See, and I have feelings about that. See, okay, well, all right. Because I fucking love Dragula for a lot of reasons. I mean, at first it's because, okay, it's a horror drag show, and that that rocks for me. I'm really into that. But I also find that it does, the, it does in a lot of ways, the other things that uh, I kind of like about that kind of dirtier, grungier, uh, non-mainstream, non-commodifying aesthetic, even though it does. It does because it's a television show, and that's the nature of a television show. But Dragula does include a more diverse kind of drag. Like, there are a lot of different kinds of drag. Even within that kind of Dragula, the super monstrous aesthetic, I think of somebody like uh, Melissa B. Fierce, who was who could have been on Drag Race. Um, or somebody like James Majesty, who also kind of does that glam thing, but does it in kind of a grungy way. Like, not all the queens are like Vander Von Odd. Not all the queens... But even Vander could probably have been on a season of Drag Race in some degree, just kind of in a really spooky way. Like, if Vander was the Aiden Zane of season 12 that would have been dope um the most recent season of dragula also included uh a cis woman performer in hollow eve uh, she's a queer woman but she's a cis woman drag artist and you had a drag king you had um landon cider who fucking amazing and ended up being the winner and truly didn't need to be on the show because no. he had a platform <laughs> Landon was the Raja of Dragula. Like, Truly. totally didn't need it, but there it was. And I feel like, like, it. Did they do it right away? No. But neither did Drag Race. Like, Drag Race didn't get to Sharon Needles until it had built some kind of an audience and had built some sort of language for itself. And Dragula needed to do that too. It needed to be the the dark spooky drag race for two seasons before it could really allow itself to then expand and then be all the things that it wanted to be and i argue that dragula does the same thing that drag race does it does a better job at it but i think it ultimately does the same thing drag race does in its inclusion of people like james majesty like erica clash like those those other queens yet I don't see that as being too much different than Drag Race's inclusion of Milk and Crystal Method to a certain extent. Aiden Zane, the the Sharon Needles, but then also um, Lila, Lila McQueen, <laughs> Dax exclamation point to an extent. Um, and I think I think it's it 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 plays in a different space, but I think it's playing the same game. Um, but also, I still say it's playing it better. 
I do think it plays it better. I think it's at the end of the day, the same game. And it's just that question of even, 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 um, even Dragula, it's, it's playing to whereas drag race is that hyper femme space that, that can't be femme space. It's a campy horror space. And it's, it's still playing to a, a niche audience to a specific audience that isn't necessarily inherently a queer audience. And that's my argument. I don't know that I would totally say that. I don't know that I would totally agree that it's not more of a queer space. It, it is a, I feel like it is an essentially queer space because it's just, it's just being queer in context when you're not, where you aren't culturally allowed to be queer. I mean, I, I, I feel like Dragula you you can't really have there's not like a straight version of Dragula, and don't say Disasterina because that that that's not what I mean. I mean like the straight version of horror is what you see all the time. The straight version of horror is is where women are not witch priestesses and and monstrous rockers and all those things. In horror, women are are victims and women are final girls that have to go through hell just to get to the end of the fucking movie where in dragula though those bitches are fierce every bitch in dragula can will kill every man that comes her way and like that to me is like it's an essentially queer space in the things that it's i feel like you're you're talking less horror and more slashers no, because it's I'm thinking, monsters too. No, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking like the ring, the grudge. I'm thinking to an extent most Disney villains. I mean, I know that's not necessarily horror, but I'm thinking Ursula, I'm thinking Maleficent. Women are often portrayed as monstrous. I'm thinking the Baba Yaga. I'm thinking the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Um, there are plenty of women monsters as well. There are plenty of female monsters as well. Um, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I guess, I guess trying to get back on the point and, and not trying to get into this argument about horror and horror aesthetics. Um, I just think it's, there's, there's something about Dragula that again, I argue that it does it better. It, it ultimately does it better in terms of representation, in terms of what it's trying to do in terms of trying to get a more diverse sense of what drag is and can be. I do believe it does that better than Drag Race, but I still think it's playing the same game as Drag Race. It's just in a different corner. It's it's the same it's the same rules. It's playing with the same rules. It's just playing with a different filter over it. I mean I, I, it's it's the yes and no. Yes, and, sure, but also no. And I mean and... you you'd mentioned the straight horror thing. So then like what's the straight drag race? Because Top Model is not the straight drag race. Uh, Project Runway is not the straight drag race. There really isn't a straight drag race either. So there's no straight Dragula and there's no straight drag race either. So again, like... I would say that beauty pageants are the straight drag race. I don't think that's fair because of the queer pageant scene and how 
But the queer pageant scene is like it's like it's like the ball scene. It's the queer pageant scene is take is doing what it, like executive like the categories in a ball in a, in a ball are. It's taking uh, what is what is acceptable and 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 considered great in the straight world and turning it into it's putting it in a queer context and allowing queer people to 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 live that realness. But what for, about leather and and bear pageants and other forms of niche pageants? that are inherently queer well ugh. <laughs> they don't fit into my narrative so i'm just not going to uh, embrace that i'm saying like female beauty pageants then to be more specifically female beauty pageants to me is that's like, it's like a straight version of drag race i can't imagine a female beauty pageant a miss america ever having to make her own outfit and then make an outfit for another person and make them up. I, I just, well, maybe they should. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. Are you listening, Miss America pageant? I guess the last thing I want to go back to is an idea, uh, kind of a big idea. But um, the, the, the idea then of like, so here we are at this particular point in queer history where there there are parts of queerness that are very mainstream and very in the open and we can live queer lives in a public way. And there is still the part that has to be hidden and there's still the part of queerness that has to be put in the closet and is the victim of violence and the victim of bullying and all, all of that. So at this point in queer history, how do we hold in our hands both the positives of assimilation, like this thing that we've been talking about. Yes, it's given these these queens the ability to have, like they're able to have the same kind of like career as other performers who are not queer. So there's this assimilation thing where we are like everybody else. And that radical notion of queer, queer people being fundamentally different and needing to be in spaces that are just ours and live lives that are just ours and we have our own rules and our own spaces and our own stories and our own things. How do we balance those? How do we hold them both in our hands? The internet. Honestly, I think that's, it's the internet. It is the creation of digital spaces that is inherently meant for queer people by queer people it's creating these connections that cannot exist in the real world quote unquote it's, it's creating these spaces that are inherently liminal that are inherently undefinable that are inherently hard to pin down and hard to regulate and hard to infiltrate and it's it's a matter of allowing those spaces to just kind of be and and exist and so we already kind of have that to a certain extent it's just a matter of those spaces allowing and accepting spaces like drag race to exist and it's a matter of um coming to a point where we can have that sense of nuance have that sense of oh maybe both are okay maybe there's there's a reason for one thing and another so it's it's similar to the same-sex marriage argument of it becomes a form of assimilation into a problematic institution to begin with, which I totally see and agree with even as a married queer person, but it also means less kids are killing themselves. It also means that queer visibility is larger so that trans issues and, and other queer issues are being talked about. It, it means that there's a stronger sense of reason for other protections for queer people such as employment and and housing 
it's because they can see, oh, there are these people over here who are married and they are um, within this institution. So maybe it's possible that queer people are okay. Maybe it's possible that we can allow them to exist and to be what they are. Yeah, it um, it goes to, to the idea, fundamentally the idea of like how change works. And I've always thought that like, you often find people engaged in the argument of uh, the best way to to impact and to make change happen. And for some people, that means a more assimilist approach of trying to get people to understand and have, you know, tell your story, have them understand you, let them get to know you, that that's one path toward change. But the, the reverse being, no, you've got to be fucking angry, you have to break down the doors, you have to push down the walls, you have to get in people's faces, and that's how you make change. Where the reality is that it's both, that change it, it, change happens because both of those things exist. You can't just have one or the other. You have to find some way to do both of those things in order to to actually affect and implement change. Exactly. Like both can exist, both should exist, and they shouldn't shit on each other. Yeah. And I think I think that's the problem is that both will shit on each other. There's the respectability's politics uh, argument that keeps coming up and up and up about all these different things, and that shouldn't even be a thing. It should just be like. Yes, I can walk into this meeting and have this poise and have this this uh, moment of, wow, look at this person who is able to integrate into society. And that should be as respected by, prog- by the, the progressive movement as the people in the streets who are protesting. They should be on equal pair because they both have their functions and they both have their reasons for existing and they both have their tools. But unfortunately, we live in a culture that doesn't like nuance and complexity. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> So funny, too, because here we are being like, ooh, gay, queer, blah, blah, blah. I can't be labeled, but binary, binary, dichotomy, dichotomy. It must be yes or no. And it's like, y'all, y'all some homos. Just suck a dick and calm down, Trisha. Unless you don't want to suck a dick. Let's make it very clear. Everybody should suck a dick at some point in their life. Not if you, kidding. Not if you don't kidding. want to. If I'm you're kidding. a lesbian, you, should, don't have, you shouldn't have to suck oh a dick. God. Some lesbians have dicks. <laughs> That's fair. You're right. <laughs> If you, but if you if you are a lesbian that does not have a dick, then you don't suck one if you don't want to. That's cool. Or if you are a lesbian with a dick, you shouldn't have to suck a dick. It's no, nobody should have to suck a dick. Okay, and so which I feel is the real takeaway of this episode. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to suck a dick. You or you can. You can hold both in your hand at the same time. Can we end the episode already? <laughs> this is a perfect place to wrap things up. I know so. we're home, but can I go home? <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, we are incredibly grateful for your support and your continued, but uh, your continued like support by listening to the podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us in a lot of places. You, if you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us at beardedfruit.com. You can also find us on Twitter at beardedfruitpod. You can find Neil and I separately on the various social medias. You can find me most often on Twitter at c Orions. and you can find Neil at. Neil makes things. All the places. Reach out to us. Let us know that you're listening to the podcast. Let us know that you're enjoying it. Let us know who you want to win season 12. We'd love to to gab with you about that. Uh, and if you do like the podcast and you know people who would be into it, share it. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes. And you can find us on Google Play Music. And as always, we appreciate you. And we will see you in the next episode. Everybody has a penis. Everybody say love. Penis. <laughs> <laughs>